Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. At C3, we exist to help people pattern their lives after Jesus. This message was first given as part of our teaching series at C3. All right, Mark chapter 9. We are finishing chapter 9 today. Um, verses 30 to 41. Picking up at verse 30, uh, the Gospel of Mark says this. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know they were where they were. But uh, because Jesus, or because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But, he did not under, but they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They went to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and a servant and the servant of all. He took a, ch- a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the, the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but, wel- but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John. We saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is, against, or is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Today's sermon is called, Who Are You Waiting For?, which we will unpack in a moment. When you were a kid, um, think about those, those days, uh, like when you were six, seven, eight. What did you want to be when you grew up? Is there anybody, anybody can remember anything? Deep Sea Diver. Awesome. Very cool. Go on. Is there another one? Adam, what did you want to be when you grew up? Not sure? Comedian. You, ba- you basically fulfilled that. That's your, 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 yeah, go ahead, mom. Oh, well, I'm going to, I have what I wanted to be, what did, I, which I will share with everybody in a moment. What did you, what do you remember? Well, I, let's see whose memory is which. That is what I, David Letterman, David Letterman is actually what I have in this. So when I was a kid, that's what I wanted to be. If you remember, David Letterman was the, the, the tonight or the late night host, the late show. I wanted to be David Letterman, and I also wanted to be Michael Jordan. I can, I can fully say that I accomplished neither one of those items, but hopefully I'm at least a little bit closer to David Letterman uh, than I am Michael Jordan, if you've ever seen um, how high I can jump. That is for sure. 
Um, but all of us, I think when we're kids, like we dream of being cowboys or cowgirls or astronauts or uh, president or maybe the kids don't do that anymore. You don't want to be president. But like we all dream of being like really great things, right? We all, wanna, we all really want to be really great things. I, I, uh, our, like my boys, they're obsessed with like superheroes right now. My, my son Joshua wants to be uh, Spider-Man and loves to dress up in his different costumes and, and do this and that. Uh, Lucas is now obsessed because he can't be Spider-Man. He is the Incredible Hulk, which then he goes around the house going, Hulk smash, Hulk smash, which is like really bad for our house. Like we're trying to keep it all in one piece and he's just going around smashing things and hitting things against the wall. Um, but kids in general, like they want to grow into greatness. And I think there's something deep inside of us that when we look at God, the creator, the one who created us and that we're created in his image, that we have an amazing, great God. And I think there's something deep and longing inside of us, a longing for, for greatness. Um, our world has, uh, a different kind of greatness than what the kingdom of God has. In our passage, we read out this line that says, whoever wants to be greatest among you must be a servant of all. And so to Jesus, being great equals to being a servant. Now in our world, our world is completely different and, and it has a draw on us. The things that the world loves that, that says that are great are the people who are beautiful, right? The rich, the talented, the famous. These are the things that our world says, this is what makes you great. The, the, the prestige and all of the glory that goes to you. And yet Jesus says something completely different in this passage. He says it's not about being great, it's about being a servant to all, which we'll unpack in a little bit more. But in verse 30, we pick up that says that, that they left that place and they passed through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. That, that through our um, our story in Mark, that, that, that Jesus goes off with his 12 for some core teaching uh, at this point. Um, earlier in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus was teaching his disciples, but they were through parables, uh, which are stories, but sometimes a little bit difficult to understand. Sometimes they're, they're, they're like more um, sometimes Jesus' teaching is more straightforward. And in this time, Jesus' teaching becomes a lot more straightforward kind of than earlier in Mark. And, and Jesus starts off by saying that the Son of Man, um, it's the way of Jesus referring to himself, which is a reference from Daniel 7, um, but, but Jesus says that he's going to die and he's going to come back to life. And this is the second time that Jesus has said this. Um, earlier in, um, in Mark, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus made the prediction uh, for the first time. He prophesied first that he would die and rise again. He does it the second time here in Mark chapter 9. And then in Mark chapter 10, he says it one last time to really get it through to his disciples. And I wonder if Jesus... It's teaching just a little bit more plainly in this passage because as we come down the mountain of Mount Transfiguration, that was a couple of weeks ago, uh, Jesus knows that his, his time towards the cross, it's, it's coming to 
a close, that his ministry, he's going to have to pass this on to his disciples. He's got to get them ready. And he starts speaking to his disciples a little bit more plainly uh, in this passage. And what's really interesting about this is that the disciples, they, they don't fully get what it means that the Messiah must die and come back to life. That a lot of Jews, besides the Sadducees, like they believed in a, in a resurrection after the present age. They believed in a future resurrection. Um, and um, it, it, that wouldn't have been a big shocker. What would have been a shocker is that they were not expecting the coming Messiah to die and come back to life. That's the difficult part. Their understanding of a Messiah, the Messiah, who, which means, again, anointed one, the one who would come and save and rescue uh, Israel, God's people, and restore things. What they were expecting, they were expecting this great war hero, right, to push out the Romans, right, to make Israel into a great nation again, the, a prosperous place where their enemies, uh, they would be protected from their enemies. They were expecting somebody like that King David figure where, where Israel had its greatest years uh, in terms of kind of a worldly mindset. But Jesus says that the Messiah must die and come back to life. And so it's completely understandable to that the disciples would be a little confused in this passage. Going on in verse 33, it says, They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. If you've ever been in the car with kids, Arguing, bickering, fighting in the back seat, um, hitting each other, not my kids, probably yours, um, definitely my kids, okay? Like, like you don't have time, like you, you, you pull up, what are you guys arguing about? Like nothing, nothing, even at two and five, right? They know they're in deep trouble. And I think the disciples, like, it's like Jesus calling out his, 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 his disciples and saying, what were you arguing? Like he knew, come on, he's Jesus. He knew what they were arguing about, and they all kept quiet because they're like, I don't want to say what we were talking about, about who was going to be the greatest. They kept quiet about what they were arguing about. And at this point, Jesus, what he does is he, uh, he's in the house, and he sits down. And that's when rabbis, uh, Jesus was a rabbi, which means teacher. That's the position that, that rabbis take when they, they're going to do a formal teaching. And so his, his, his 12 disciples are with him at this point, and, and he's going to have a little come-to-Jesus moment and do some deep teaching. And he really cuts to the core in this one line. He says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. I feel like this, that line just cuts to the human heart, and we could never hear that line enough in our lives. I think so many, uh, so many of us, we, we think that, that greatness is caught up into our image, into how much money we make, in, in recognition or getting likes or our followers or our prestige. That, that greatness, though, to Jesus is not about all of that that our world desires and wants. It, greatness is equated to being a servant. And the word servant is the word which we get deacon in the church. If you've ever heard of somebody having the position of a deacon, has anybody heard of that word before? Okay, a few people, a few people nodding. So that, that means to serve. But the word actually, it's similar to where we get the word 
to wait or like waiter or waitress. And that, that's why I, I named my sermon title this is, Who Are You Waiting For? Like, is it a waiter or waitress, somebody who serves you, who brings you your food and your drink, right? Who are you waiting for? Is it, are you waiting for yourself? Are you waiting for somebody else? Or are you waiting for Jesus? See, to serve Jesus in his kingdom, it requires being the very last. It means serving in humility with no guarantee of reconciliation or of recognition, uh, of a fortune, of, of getting the things that our world so desires or tells us what is important in our world. And to demonstrate this even further, Jesus gets a little child and he hugs a little child and he, he puts a little child up on his lap. And I just love that image of Jesus gathering a little child and just holding a child. It just shows how, how lovely Jesus is, how amazing Jesus is. And so he takes this in verse 36. It says, he took a little child whom he placed among them, taking the child in his arms. He said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but welcomes the one who sent me. See, in that time, children are not like children today. Like children today, like, like we we do a lot for our kids. Like we spend a lot of money. We take them to Disney World or, or whatever. We give them like basically any toy that they want, even though that really backfires. You know, we do a lot to love and to serve our kids. We make sure that they get a great education, all of those things. In, the, in ancient times, in, in biblical times, kids were like the bottom of the barrel. They were seen uh, as some of the least among the people. Um, they would be like kind of down there with uh, people who were uh, disabled. Uh, they were down there with people who were slaves. Uh, they were down there with people who were Gentiles, which are like the unclean, anybody who wasn't Jewish, right? So for Jesus to put a child on his lap and hold child, what he's saying is he's saying, what does it mean to be a servant of all? It means serving those who are the least, the last, and the lost. It's, what can a child do for you if you've been a parent? Like you serve, you give and you give and you give, you wipe and you clean and you follow around them with a vacuum cleaner and you, you try not to pull out your hair and you, you serve and you love that child and, and nobody else sees it, right? Nobody, there's no glory in that. Okay, there is some for people who put their kids and they all on Facebook, and oh, look how cute they are. But like nobody's getting, you know, like why you're wiping down your kid or whether they're sneezing in your face and all of that kind of stuff. They're, they're, like that's not the kind of prestige that our, our, and fame and glory that our world celebrates. And so Jesus shows that it's those who are the least, the last, and the lost. Like God has this theme throughout the whole, like there's this meta narrative throughout all of scripture of, of, of God calling his people to serve the poorest those who were widows, those who had nothing, those who were completely lost and, for, and hopeless in society. Um, in, in today's world, that might look like somebody who's the, you know, might be struggling, might be the single mom, or somebody who's a, a foster child, or somebody who is an immigrant. And anytime you serve somebody where you don't get anything back, Right? There's no ROI, which stands for return on investment. 
right? There's no recognition. There's no fame. There's no glory. It's as you are serving Jesus himself. And not only are you serving Jesus, but it says that you serve, the, that you welcome me, but you, but you also welcome the one who sent me, which is the Father, right? That when you serve so un, unselfishly without getting anything back just for me, it's like you're serving Jesus. You're welcoming Jesus. You're welcoming the Father. In verse 38, the Apostle John says, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told them to stop because he was not one of us. Jesus replies, Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name and in the next moment say anything bad about me can say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. So Peter gets a break from saying something really dumb. And now it's the Apostle John. I feel bad for Peter. Like, it's recorded all through the Gospels. You're like, really? Really? Is this the time to say this? John says this about, he's like, what does this actually have to do with, with Jesus' teaching? That, that John is like, why are other people out there casting out demons? And I wonder whether the Apostle John is saying this because earlier in chapter 9, the Apostles are trying to drive out demons and they're unable to do it. They don't have the power to do and to cast out this demon. And here there are other people that are following Jesus that are not part of their group and part of what they're doing, and yet they're able to cast out demons. And Jesus is saying, look, whoever is for us is, is, is not against us. You can't do a miracle in, in one moment and then in the next uh, breath say something bad about me. Like, don't stop them. But we would never do that in the church today, would we? Right? The, the different church down the road, right? That other church, that more popular church, right? I think so often we see, we see the church as this like competition, right? Or, or, oh, look what programs they have or this or that. And yet we're all team Jesus. There's only one church in the entire world, that's Jesus' church. That's his bride. It's an Auburn, DeKalb County, North Indiana, and global. Like, we are part of one church of Jesus. There is one king, and there is one kingdom. Jesus finishes by saying this in verse 41. He says, Truly I tell you, anyone who gives, up, gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Hospitality was really important to ancient culture. And if you were a guest, you wanted, if, if, you were, if you were a host, you wanted to give people your best. But some people can't afford meat or wine. And so if you have nothing to give, what is the very littlest that you can give? Well, you can give somebody a cup of water. You, all you have to do is you would have to go to the well, you would have to get that, that water, and then you can serve your guest. What I think Jesus is trying to say is here is you don't have to be rich. You don't have to be super talented. You don't have to have everything in order to serve others and love other people. You have to just give whatever God has given you. Now, some of us, we might feel like we've got no gifts, we've got nothing that we can give God. That's not true. 
Even a cup of water, Jesus says here, can serve and love other people, right? It, it seems such a small thing. God has, whatever we get, our life, our possessions, we talked about this on Giving Sunday, it all actually belongs to God, that none of them that are ours, we're just stewards of those gifts, right? And so even if we just have a cup of water to give people, that's how we're meant to love and serve. No matter if you have a lot or you have a little, you have something to serve Jesus and to, and to bless other people and to demonstrate Jesus' love in other people's lives. So this goes all full back to my, my sermon title. Who are you waiting for? Not waiting in terms of time, but who are you waiting? Like that waiter or waitress, right? Are you waiting for yourself or are you waiting for Jesus? Maybe a better way to say it is, are you serving yourself or are you serving God? Is your life focused on self-ambition of what I can get or, or how far I can achieve or what I can accumulate? Or is it focused on serving Jesus? Is it focused on whatever, you know, using whatever God's given me or do we struggle with envy? Because self-ambition and envy are really the two enemies of self-sacrificial servant discipleship. See, envy is when you covet a person's life. And no matter how far you move up the ladder in your career, no matter how big your home is, no matter how much money you make, no matter how good at what you do, you do, there is always somebody that's going to be better, richer, more famous, more beautiful, and it will rob your joy. If you're always playing that comparison, and it's so hard today, isn't it? Because like you don't have to actually look at the grass on the green, is the greener on the other side, which it's always greener in my neighborhood. My grass is okay, it's better than what it used to be, but my neighbors, they have some great looking grass, okay? And I'm okay with that, I am content with that. I'm okay with okay grass. But like with social media just plastered, right, all the time, like it's so easy to get caught up and look, look at their good time. Look at their trip. Look at what they've done. Look what they have. I don't have that. I need to get that. I need to, I need to work harder. I need to focus on my job. I need to get my career more in order. I need to serve myself a little more. I need to make a little bit more money, right? It's so easy to get caught up in this comparison game in this envy of other people rather than being grateful. And that's so what's important about Thanksgiving, right? That's why we celebrate, why we should celebrate Thanksgiving because God has blessed us tremendously that we can find contentment in, in saying thank you to the one who is really has given us all. So whether we have a little or we have a lot, we can find contentment and we can find joy. Self-ambition is, is, is all about, and there's nothing wrong with ambition. You can be ambitious for Christ, and you can be ambitious for all the right reasons. But self-ambition is saying, how can I serve myself? How can I help fulfill myself better? How can I fill me up more? And it's so hard in our consumeristic uh, world that we live in. As soon as we step outside the doors of today, we enter into a world that is built for us to consume and to take and to grab. And for me and mine, everything is, is catered to us. So how do we know if we're, we're serving ourselves or we're serving Jesus? I came across this quote by a pastor. His name is Mark Sayers. He's a pastor in Australia. And he put it this way. And I feel like for me, this really cut me to the core. 
Mark Sayers puts it this way. He says, if your greatest dream was to come true, but you didn't get any of the credit, would you still be happy? No. That's my answer. That is really, really hard. That is really hard. If your greatest dream or dreams, like if everything that you, uh, like that God put on your heart was achieved, and yet there was nothing about it that, that you got any credit for, would you still be happy? If I'm honest, that's a really hard sell. Like to me, that cuts me to the core. I don't know about you, but that is a great challenge. What if we didn't get any fame, no fortune, no recognition, not even a thank you, right? Not a, no pastor appreciation month, which is over, by the way, if you wanted to appreciate me. <laughs> it's okay. A nice, a nice cup of water would be great. A cup of water would be awesome. Like, that's tough, right? And if I'm honest and standing before you, it's yes, but no. Like, yes, there's this godly side of me that says, that says yeah, I, I just want to serve Jesus. I want all the glory and honor and praise to go to him. But I also would like a pat on the back. I'd also like a thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, that, it's, it's a tension, and I, I feel like we all struggle with this. Our fleshly desires and what the world says that we, that we should want and what Jesus says to just humbly and serve him, to wash the next person's feet, and so on, to serve the least, the last, and the lost, where there's no return on investment, nothing that we can gain for it. That's really, really, really hard, I have to say. And, and as I was thinking, and I was praying about this passage, I was just really struck by John the Baptist. I feel like John the Baptist really hit the nail on the head with this, this servant mentality. Because as John the Baptist was gaining popularity, the Messiah came along, Jesus. And right away in Jesus' ministry, two of John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, leave his crew, right? They stop following John the Baptist and they start following Jesus. That happens in John chapter 1. And then in John chapter 3, later on, uh, his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples come up to him and said, look, all these bad people are baptized. Jesus is baptizing. Like, it's kind of like this, it becomes like this kind of competition. And you know what John the Baptist says in that moment? He says, he must become greater. I must become less. Isn't that the attitude that we should have as we come to Jesus? How can we serve without recognition? How can we give with no return? How can we love even though we might not receive love back ourselves? Greatness comes in serving the one who came to serve us all, Jesus. For it says in, in Mark's gospel, it says, For the Son of Man who came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So at this point, I'm going to ask the band if they would like to um, come up and lead us in our last song. And I'm going to invite you to stand. But think about the, my question for us today. Is who are you waiting for? Are you open and are you willing to serve with the little or lot that Jesus has given you? And are you ready to serve even though you might not gain 
any recognition, any fortune, or anything back in return. That's a tough challenge for today. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I pray that you would realign our hearts and our desires to serve only you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the people in mind who you're calling us to love and to serve. Lord, help us not to get distracted about what the world calls us, um, what the world kind of persuades us in, kind of gets into our, our, our deformation, but help us to be formed in you. Help us to be with you, to become like you, and then do what you did, Jesus. Lord, help us to serve the least, the lost, and the last. Lord, help us not to be fighting for whoever's the greatest, but Lord, help us to be fighting to be the servant of all. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and not only, Lord, that you would give us a nudge, in the right direction, but Lord, I pray that you would transform our heart from the inside out. Lord, we just pray that the pure light and love of Jesus would move from the inside out and you would help us to do things for the right reasons, to love and to serve you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. hope that this message helps you to grow in a relationship with Jesus. Connect with us at classiccitychurch.org.